How many of you have ever been intimidated or pushed into doing something you didn't want to do? Or maybe not into doing something you did want to do? Do you see how that intimidation works both ways sometimes? Anybody? You've, you've had that happen to you that way? Okay. How about, um, how do you avoid that? How do you avoid that? Any ideas? You tell them you're going to pray about it. So what you did, yeah, so, so you didn't react as a bully to a bully, right? Have any of you ever reacted as a bully to put down a bully? Yeah, sometimes you feel like it's necessary. Do you know what the line is there, though? Um, if you do that, it's really hard to not overcorrect the bully, the example in the first service that somebody lifted up was, was from a Christmas story where there was the bully and then he, something snapped inside of him and he had to be pulled off the little kid because he was doing too much correction. You know, to correct beyond the penalty of what's going on. To become a bully yourself and to turn a bully into the bullied. It's not actually what God's doing. How about this one? Have you ever been... Have you ever lost a fight you weren't supposed to be in? (laughs) Do you understand what I'm talking about? Sometimes you get in arguments you shouldn't get into, and then you lose them because you were in them. And I mean, both sides lost, so you already, the argument. Anyway, so today is about that. I need to give you just a little bit of background as we move on. Last week, we talked about the dragon. Now, you know that, that there isn't a literal dragon right from Revelation when it says the red dragon was thrown to the earth, you don't go outside and see the big red dragon, right? It's, and, and I need you to know that, but also that the dragon, uh, the description of the dragon is a parody or an imitation of the description of God from Revelation chapter 4. And I say parody because his power is now... he. The, the words that the dragon was thrown down from heaven is actually he's almost discarded from heaven. Just sort of, oh, well, we're not doing that. And out you go. And then he only has power on earth. So that's not full power like God's power as it God is over heaven and earth and the dragon is thrown down. As we get ready to do this today, we're going to talk about the beast of the sea is a parody or an imitation of the power. The description is a parody or imitation of the description of Jesus, the Lamb, from Revelation 5. So let's read it. I'll talk you through a little bit of it, and then we'll talk about some implications afterwards, okay? Then I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Now, if you went down to the sea, I just want you to know this is a sign, or, or they're talking about things. They're not saying this actually happened, you wouldn't have gone down to the sea and saw Leviathan come out of the sea from Job chapter 40. You saw this beast out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns on its horn, and written on each head were names that blaspheme God. That is really close to the example of how Jesus is described in Revelation 5. 
The beast looked like a leopard. Now he changes his story just a little bit. The beast looked like a leopard. It had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own authority and throne and great power. So why the three critters? Well, if you know Revelation, maybe some of you have read the book of Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel has this dream about the kingdoms of the earth. And there's this lion one, and then a leopard, and a bear, and they keep coming, and they keep... It's, it's not that there was a kingdom that was a bears. The rulers were bears. And I just want to make sure you know that. But that earthly kingdoms tend to become beast-like in the way it takes to become rulers of the earth. You have to, in some ways, Babylon was a kingdom of great violence to its neighbors. It was a beastly kingdom to everybody on the losing side. It ground them out. Rome was a beastly kingdom to them too. So if you're going to play king of the hill in the world's country sort of thing, and you're a lion, and then the bear comes, and then the leopard comes, you know what it's like to play king of the hill? How many of you have ever played king of the hill? Did you end up at the, at the top of the hill at the end of it? I never did. I grew 18 inches after ninth grade, so I was really small, so there was no chance I was ever winning that game, although I was scrappy. And just say that. It still didn't mean I ever won that game because nobody ever wins that game of violence. You, can't, you might be able to be more violent than the bully, but then you've become one. And you didn't win either. That's where we're at in this. That's what the story of Daniel's kingdoms is like, and it's here. So at this time, when this is being written, Rome is the beastly kingdom. Is there any other beastly-like kingdom since Rome? Should we just list them off? Do you have, can, can you do that? Has there been anybody that sort of dominated the rule of the world after Rome collapsed? Let's see, there was... Portugal and Spain and the great colonizing worlds. And then, and then there's that Attila fella and some Chinese countries and some Jap. right? See, it just keeps on, we don't even have to say that there's one particular country that kind of dominates the landscape now. How did they get there? by ruling the world in sort of this game. I just want you to make sure that you understand how this works. Rome didn't start off blaspheming God that way. Matter of fact, just so you know this, if we go back to Rome, Rome thought of itself as being given the rule of nations because of its exceeding piety towards its gods. Do you know what that means, exceeding piety? It means you love If we use it in Christian language, it means you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. You have good, strong piety towards your God. Well, the Romans thought that too, and they wouldn't have thought all the things they did, but here's here's how it started off. I'm just going to go through this a little bit. Divine honors were heaped on Julius Caesar. You know, he's kind of like a god. He just did this stuff. By Caesar Augustus, temples were being built to the goddess of Rome, and pressure was mounted to express loyalty within the citizens to the wisdom and 
and the idea of Rome. So they, they weren't worshiping Caesar Augustus. They were worshiping the idea that was the wisdom of Rome as embodied in Caesar Augustus. Do you see it? There's, there's a fine line in there, right? You're not really calling Caesar God, but the idea is, is Rome. See, Rome didn't, Rome, Rome didn't create almost all the marvels it gets credit for. It, uh, the Etruscans did most of that, and then Rome conquered them and took that and just, look, we're the wise ones. We get to do that. As it, as it keeps going, though, Tiberius, that, by the way, would be the Caesar that was um, in charge just after Christ was crucified, didn't encourage emperor worship, but he didn't discourage it, and he allowed temples to be built in his honor. By the time Caligula got there, he did insist he be acknowledged as God. Do you see how this, this, it just sort of starts off, well, the way he did it is sort of godlike. Well, Rome is God, as embodied in the emperor. Pretty soon it's the emperor. By the time we get to Domitian, when this piece of text is written, he demanded the whole world worship him as Dominus et Deus, Lord and God. That's the world we're living, this little manipulation of our worlds in, in the violence, it just sort of escalates. It doesn't always start as evil. And the reason I get into this is because it comes like this. And I saw one of the heads of the beast seem to be wounded beyond recovery, but a fatal wound, right? Remember back to Revelation 5, the lamb that was slain, that was brought back to life, that was Jesus. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast, they worship the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worship the beast. Who is as great as the beast, and who is able to fight against him? Do you hear the parody or the, the imitation of our Lord and God? Who is like our God? Who can resist him? And it just keeps going like this. It keeps going. Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. There's that time frame again. Remember, we talked about 42 months, 1,260 days, three and a half years, a time, two times, and half a time, all the same thing, the time between Jesus' birth and Jesus' coming again. He was given authority to do that, slandering the name of God and his dwelling and all those who dwell in heaven. The beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people. Now, who's God's holy people in this group? Us, all the children of God, right? All those who are called to obedience to God's, to God's kingdom. He, they were allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language of the nations. And all those who belong to the world worship the beast. And you might be thinking, well, that is really first century stuff, right? This war on the saints is really first century stuff. Fox's Books of Martyrs and all the groups that say that, the 20th century had more Christians killed for their faith than all the other centuries combined. Okay, it's not first century weirdness that we're talking about here. 
they're the ones whose names, these are all the people that worship the beast, the people of the world, they're the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the Lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made, right? They're, they're not the ones who believe in Jesus, who, who ask for the blood to cover their sins and are, are forgiven and then remain faithful and obedient. Who is that? That's, that's the people of God. Anyone with ears should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. That's the pastoral word to this here. But let's get into this little thing here. There's this, there's this language. Have you ever heard this, that if you live by the sword, you die by the sword? That's what Jesus said. Well, well, that is Jesus quoting from Jeremiah 15, and it says, there are those who are for pestilence, to pestilence they will go, and those who are for the sword. Look, if you love the sword, and you plant activities based on the sword, you're going to get to you're going to get to feel the sword. That's what that means. If you steal, you're probably going to have people steal from you or feel like there's, right? Because if you sow a deed, you probably are going to plant a character that does those things. And, and, and our world and the people in our world that do this, it's, it's weird how, how you know that. And, you know, I ran a graphic design business for a number of years, and I had two customers I could never get to pay me, and they didn't trust anybody. And they made me sign a contract. And what I figured out later is their word was no good. So they didn't trust anybody else. Isn't that funny? You look at the world through your own eyes. If you're basically trustworthy, what do you think about the world? People are generally good until they prove they're not. Well, what if you looked at the world and said people are basically bad until they prove they're not? You'd go around mistrusting everybody. That's the kind of meaning that goes behind this terminology. Now, the people that did this, that they, they wanted me to sign a contract with them, but then I couldn't get the money out of them after the project was done. It happened to be that they didn't trust me because they weren't trustworthy. It was just very interesting. I didn't, didn't have a lot of that, but just, just the two that I can remember specifically. But here's, here's how we go. When you're doing this and you're, and you're facing struggles in the world, by the way, Jesus faced some struggles along the way too. It wasn't all uh, peaches and cream for him. It wasn't all sunshine and lollipops. There were people that wanted to stone him before the time was done. And oh, by the way, there was that cross place that he knew was coming, that he kept going towards. So I want, want you to know that if Jesus didn't have this perfect rosy road to walk, what about the people that follow him? Do you think they're going to have all, you know, it's all in the Palisades, right? It's all just gorgeous little vistas, and we, that is not what faith says. Faith says that in the difficult and the good times I will trust in God. The pastoral comment at the end of this little text is, God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Well, how do you get through this? You remain faithful. 
because remember, if you take on the world's methodologies, what do you become? The world. You're indistinguishable. So if you become a bully to face a bully, you become a bully. You're indistinguishable from the bully. Does that... I'm just making just an ad hominem argument, right? Well, what's the other response that happens when a bully happens? What, what, what's the other response if you, if you discard Glendine's I prayed for them, which is very Christ-like? But a lot... A lot of people just withdraw, don't they? And they just withdraw from, from the conflict and say, I'm not going to have any part of that. And you get this little enclave of Christianity over here in the corner that nobody knows anything about and they have no interaction with the world. And they're ineffective too. Why? Because the world doesn't know them. So the problem with, with taking on the processes that that the world knows of us and, and acting just like the world is that there's no distinguishing feature between us and the world. And the problem with withdrawing is, is because there might be distinguishing marks, but nobody's seen them. It's the Germany in World War II situation where you just let the stuff happen because, you know, or as Josephus said in the first century, don't, don't stand for your faith against the Romans. You're just going to lose, so just go along and get along. I mean, that attitude's been around a long time. It's not, it's not brand new to us to go along, to get along. You have to stand in the world. Well, how do you do that? You do this this way. As, as uh, Eugene Peterson says, endurance and faith is not dumb passivity. You're not just being passive. The Christians of the first century in the midst of Rome saying, you must worship the emperor as God and king, were not dumb and passive. They were active, and some of them were killed. They faced the struggle and said, I'm going to live the faith, or, or, as, or as we say, be in the world, not of the world. But your witness has to be able to be seen as well. I just have five little ways that we need to understand what, how to live our lives. So here's some five guidelines that I try to live by, okay? Are you ready? The first one is this. I, I had the words better in my thing than I can just do them off this, and I, I want you to get the whole thing. So the first one is this. A healthy suspicion of political institutions. What does that mean? What's a healthy suspicion of political institutions? You don't trust them. So one person used to say, I, I sure, before I give them anything else to do, I want them to do five things well. No. Um, just recognize that the information we get out of our, out of our world right now is not necessarily um, clean and unslanted from either side. Okay, so a healthy suspicion of political institutions, no matter how they got started... They tend towards keeping power. And in order to keep power, pretty soon you're going to have to grasp it if you have power. Second, hold your political allegiances a little looser than you're expecting to do that. What does that mean? It might mean that you vote for somebody of an opposing party because they have good character. 
I don't know. Maybe it means you don't buy in just because it has a D or an R behind the, the name. The reason for that is this. Are you ready? You're a member of the kingdom of God first and foremost. You, you are not American that happened to be a Christian. You're a Christian who happens to live in America. That is a strong difference of thought. Who do you own your allegiance to? Well, Jesus first, but Jesus says, seek the welfare of the kingdom you live in. He doesn't say, well, you're a Christian, so just fight against them and it doesn't matter. No, give to Rome what's Rome's and give to God what's God's. In that context, give to Rome what's Rome's is give him the money that they require to do the stuff like this, but you're made in the image of God, so you should give yourself to God. That's the context of that statement. Because everybody, every one of you in this room is made in the image of God. How do you give the, your image? How do you give his image to him? You recognize that your allegiance is to him because he gave to you life on a cross. Okay, the third thing. I just did the third thing, didn't I? Yeah, I did. The third thing is you pledge your allegiance to Christ first and seek the good of the kingdom that you live in. Look, we happen to live in a time when there is an America. It has not always been that time. You might even say that there was a Canada first or second. I don't know which order they came in. You might have lived in Australia. It doesn't matter to me. Seek the good of the, of the kingdom that you do because God calls you to do that. Fourth, here's the problem with king of the hill beast kingdoms. You can't defeat them by taking up the sword. All you're going to get is the sword in return. Because if you take up the sword, that's what Jesus says when, when, when he puts, he, he's being betrayed and going to the cross, and one of his disciples, look, it's finally time to fight for Jesus. We're going to do that. And he, he doesn't do a very good job, okay? He cuts off an ear with a sword. That means he missed, by the way. Jesus says, no, that's not how we're doing this. I have a new and different way to live. It is not that way. We heal people. We resist without hating them. We're not going off the beaten path. That's the problem with some of us as Christians and denominations right now in the world is we, we had this path of following Christ, and instead of allegiance to him, we, we got off our path and went over here to have a fight we shouldn't have been in. We weren't invited. Well, we were invited to go have a fight on somebody else's turf where they're strong. That's a bad plan, by the way. You ever been into an argument you could not win? Yes, every argument you've been in you could not win. You lost it by getting in the argument. I hate to say that. Fourth. That's the fourth one. You can't defeat by the sword beastly kingdoms. Revolution is, is coming from the inside out within Christ. Finally, the text calls us to worship our Lord and not the kingdoms.
So you owe your allegiance to him, but then you worship. How do you do that? Well, how does faith keep you in this battle? Well, you learn along the way. I hate to say this, but death is not defeat. That's part of what Jesus says. You're going to face death. Would you rather be defeated while you're dying? Have you ever been defeated at all in your life? You didn't die at that time, did you? Because you're still here. I just want, want to make sure that you understand that there is martyrdom still going on in this world. I made that point earlier. But we live in faith and hope. And, and the only way to defeat the beast from the, from the sea, which is intimidation and violence, is to not enter into that fight, but to live by faith and allegiance to Christ. Doesn't mean, rem- remember my example, over here, if we if we're fight just like them, then, then we have no message to give because we're indistinguishable. But if we come over here to our own holy little, holy huddle and, and nobody else is ever allowed in, then they don't get the witness either because they don't know us. So you have to be, you sort of have to be in the mix with them, but not like them. And you do that with faith in Christ and following him. The next time you hear me preach would be the beast of the land, which is deception. And how do you avoid deception and the parody of the Holy Spirit? Just want you to know that just as an announcement. That's what I've got today is that I need you to know how to live in faith and what the main goal is, is that faith's goal is to get you through this in Christ, not in the world's methodologies. To be in the world, but not of the world. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for today and for your love. I hope specifically that you'll be leading us as we are, and and that you'll be helping us be leadable because you are our leader, that we give our allegiance and our worship to you and you alone. In your precious name, Lord, amen.